We are diving into a new series tonight called Spiritual Gifts and Me, Understanding Your Part in the Body of Christ. Okay, I asked this question a few weeks ago. Who has ever taken like a spiritual gifts test? Okay, a couple. Who, who maybe has never even heard of what a spiritual gifts test is? And those just, just sounds weird to you. You've been confused by what spiritual gifts are, um, whether you've taken a spiritual gifts test or not, um, whether you've heard messages on spiritual gifts, or maybe you come from a church background that talked a lot about, you got to know your spiritual gift. I remember I was in college, and I, w- I went to a Christian college. I went to Liberty University. I was in a class, and I was a biblical studies major, so all of my classes, we were studying the Bible. It was amazing. And one of my classes, um, you know, at the time, you know, what are you in college? Are you 20, 21 19, you know, somewhere in there, I'm 20 years old. Um, I've been a Christian for a, you know, couple of years by that time. And, um, and my professor, I remember him saying, if you've been walking with the Lord for over a decade now, and you don't understand what your spiritual gifts are, then that's a problem. And it did challenge and convict me in a way because I had been walking with the Lord for, uh, you know, I, I grew up in the church, not saying that that's what makes you a Christian, you know, amen. But I grew up in the church, um, got saved at an early age. And as I've grown older physically and matured mentally and were able, was able to understand more about the Bible, the Lord just continued to open up my heart to understanding more about the gospel and maturing. But even still into my 20s, I was very confused about, okay, Lord, what, what are my spiritual gifts? And so the topic of the Holy Spirit and spiritual gifts can be very confusing. But this is pretty interesting in the New Testament. Check this out. Three times in the New Testament, Paul is going to tell believers, there are three things that I don't want you to be ignorant about. Three things. And he says, the first thing I don't want you to be ignorant about is the end times specifically regarding the rapture. He talks about that in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. He says, I don't want you to be ignorant about the rapture. He also says, I don't want you to be ignorant. This is in a different passage of scripture in Romans chapter 11. He says, second thing I don't want you to be ignorant about is pertaining to things about Israel. Especially, he says in Romans 11, this mystery of the blindness of Israel that God has partially blinded Jews until the full number of Gentiles come into salvation. He calls it a mystery, but he says, I don't want you to be ignorant about it. That's Romans chapter 11, things pertaining to Israel. The third thing he says, I don't want you to be ignorant about these things. First Corinthians chapter 12, he says, I don't want you to be ignorant about the spiritual gifts. Do you know what the, probably the top three things that continues to confuse and divide the church? The end times the land of Israel, and spiritual gifts. Now, why is that? Well, when God, through the Apostle Paul, tells the church, I don't want you to be ignorant about these three things, you know the very three things that Satan is then going to attack? Those three things. When God says, I want you to be, I want you to have some good knowledge and understanding about the end times, about Israel, about spiritual gifts, those are the very three things that Satan is going to then attack. Because when God says, I want you to understand these things, Satan tries to undo what God wants to do in your life. 
And so Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, he says, I don't want you to be ignorant about the topics such as the Holy Spirit and spiritual gifts. And yet this topic of spiritual gifts continues to divide and confuse the church. And you know why Satan especially wants to attack those three things, but specifically the topic of spiritual gifts, is because the very main purpose of spiritual gifts in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul says the main purpose of spiritual gifts, okay, is not to be weird, not to bring glory to yourself. Okay, when we talk about spiritual gifts, the topic can be very weird. There's a lot of, like, speaking in tongues, what in the world is that? That's very weird. That's confusing. All right, we'll talk about that later. Paul says, if you speak in tongues and it's not done in a proper order, people who aren't believers are going to come into the church. They're going to think that you're drunk. That's what Paul, that's what Paul says. So he says there's got to be order to these things. The main purpose of spiritual gifts is not to be weird, not to bring glory to ourselves. Paul is going to say in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the primary purpose of spiritual gifts is to build up and encourage the body of Christ. That's the primary purpose of spiritual gifts, to build up and encourage the body of Christ. Okay, I want you to think of the body of Christ as a sports team. Now, it doesn't fit perfectly, but for purposes of illustration, the body of Christ, it's like a sports team, okay? Many of you grew up playing sports. I love sports, so this analogy helps me. I hope it helps you. Okay, we are all a part of the body of Christ. In other words, we're all a part of Team Jesus, okay? And within a sports team, whether it's football or baseball or basketball, everyone has their specific positions. And people are given specific positions because their specific talents and giftings line up well with that position. And the purpose of your position is not to just bring glory to yourself, but it's to help the betterment of the whole team. And so, likewise, the Bible says that if you belong to Jesus, that the Holy Spirit dwells within you, that God's very Spirit dwells in you. I mean, honestly, think about that. That when you come to Christ, that God, you know, a lot of people think coming to Christ is I got to clean myself up and then I come to Jesus. No, you come to Jesus as messed up as you are, and Jesus does his cleansing work by the power of his Holy Spirit, because now you belong to Jesus, and he says, I'm going to actually give you my very spirit. The Holy Spirit is going to work within your life and within your heart. And the Holy Spirit, the Bible says, now is going to give you specific spiritual gifts to be a part of Team Jesus. Why? So that you can look awesome and be the coolest team member of Team Jesus? No. Jesus is the coolest team member of Team Jesus. It's all about Jesus. We're a part of Team Jesus, and so the Holy Spirit now gives us specific talents or spiritual gifts to now help the body of Christ, to help the team work and function together properly. We're going to get more into that, but first, listen, tonight, in order to better understand spiritual gifts, which we're going to dive into later in our series, we first have to understand more about the gift giver. Because we can't just dive into spiritual gifts and talk about all these cool gifts and all these awesome things from the Holy Spirit if we don't first understand who the Holy Spirit is. Because the Holy Spirit is a controversial, or not is, but it can be. And over the centuries of the existence of the church, the Holy Spirit has somewhat been a topic of controversy. We're not exactly sure who the Holy Spirit is or what the role of the Holy Spirit is supposed to be in our lives. And so... 
Sometimes we don't talk about the Holy Spirit. Other churches put an overemphasis on the Holy Spirit. It's all about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So tonight, what we're going to do before we dive into the spiritual gifts, which we're going to cover, you know, Paul talks about the spiritual gifts in 1 Corinthians 12, in the book of Romans, in Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to dive into that because my overall heart and goal of this series is that we all might examine ourselves and that you might leave this series having a better understanding of what your spiritual gift or gifts are so that we can then properly use the spiritual gifts that God has given us to then better help Team Jesus and properly represent Team Jesus to a dying, lost world who we welcome as a part of Team Jesus. And so when we're all playing our part and we're all working within the realm of the gifts that God has given us, and we're not trying to play each other's different positions, right? If, if you know anything about sports, okay, if you're a point guard, you're in basketball, and you're trying to play center, and the center's trying to shoot as a point guard, okay, you're, you're going to lose because your team isn't properly functioning the way that you have been designed and the gifts that you've been given. And so when the church is trying to compare, oh, that gift is all, I want that gift, but God hasn't given you that gift. He's given you this gift, but you're tr- too busy trying to compare yourself to someone else who had us another gift. All right, we're not going to be properly functioning within Team Jesus. So we're going to talk about all those spiritual gifts. But first tonight, before we understand what spiritual gifts are, what the purpose of spiritual gifts are, we got to understand about the gift giver. And that is the Holy Spirit. Because in 1 Corinthians 12, 1... Paul says, all of these, okay, all of these, the these are spiritual gifts. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and the Holy Spirit distributes them to each one just as He determines. So the Holy Spirit determines what your spiritual gift is. So within that verse, if we're following the chronology, the Holy Spirit gives spiritual gifts to people. So before we talk about spiritual gifts, let's talk about the Holy Spirit. I'm going to invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. It's the very first book after the four Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. Acts chapter 1. To set us up while you're finding your your page there in Acts chapter 1, the writer of Acts is a man named Luke. Now, most Bible scholars believe that Luke was a Gentile. Okay, what is a Gentile? You're a Gentile if you're not a Jew. Simple as that. There are Jews, Hebrews, the people that God chose to send the Messiah through, the Jewish people. If you're not a Jew, you're a Gentile. And so most Bible scholars believe that Luke was a Gentile. If that's the case, he's the only Gentile writer of Scripture. Luke. He writes the book of Acts. He also writes the gospel of Luke. Luke, the Bible tells us, was a doctor. In Colossians chapter 4, verse 14, it says that Luke was Paul's traveling companion and personal physician. He wrote the gospel of Luke, and in both the gospel of Luke and in the book of Acts, he makes, us, uh, he makes known to us who he's writing to, and the person's name is Theophilus. Now, Theophilus in the Greek means lover of God. We're not exactly sure who Theophilus is, but we have a pretty good guess. 
The ancient Jewish historian, his name was Josephus, he says that Theophilus was the high priest from the years A.D. 37 to A.D. 41. And if that's the case, which that's what Josephus says, then Theophilus would have been the high priest at the temple only a few years after Jesus died and rose again. So get this, Luke is writing to Theophilus, the high priest. He's like, Theophilus, you've probably heard all the scuttlebutt of what, what was going on. Do people still say scuttlebutt? Okay, no, just me maybe? Okay, pray for me. So Theophilus, he's hearing all of the, all of the word about Jesus, this guy Jesus. Is he the Jewish Messiah? I've been hearing rumors that this guy Jesus died on the cross but rose from the dead. So Luke is basically writing an account to Theophilus all about Jesus. And he's saying, yes, this is the fact of the matter. It's really cool when archaeology catches up with the Bible. Not too long ago, some archaeologists dug up this ossuary. Now, what is an ossuary? An ossuary is basically a bone box where you have skeletal remains. And on this ossuary, on this bone box, they found the inscription written in Hebrew. It said, Johanna, the granddaughter of Theophilus, the high priest. And it was dated to the time of Christ. Pretty cool, right? So Luke is writing to probably this guy, Theophilus, in the book of Acts, what we're going to read. And the theme, just a kind of general theme of the book of Acts, the theme of the book of Acts is the beginning of the church and the power of the Holy Spirit. It's called the book of Acts because the lengthier title of the book of Acts is called the the Acts of the Apostles, but really the book could be called the Acts of the Holy Spirit through the Apostles because the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts, he's going to be mentioned 57 times, 57 times. There's 30 chapters in the book of Acts. Holy Spirit's mentioned 57 times. So who is the main character of the book of Acts? The Holy Spirit. Thank you. The Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit's mentioned 57 times. Now get this, this is really interesting too. The word love is the predominant word in the Gospels. You read the Gospels, you come across the word love all the time. When you get to the book of Acts, you don't see the word love even once. The operative phrase, the operative word in the book of Acts is power. Power, it's the Greek word dunamis. It's where we actually get our English word dynamite. Power. And it's in the context of the power of the Holy Spirit. Dunamis. Listen, God wants you, as believers and followers of Jesus Christ, to live a powerful-filled life, filled with the dunamis, dynamite, the power of the Holy Spirit. So many Christians, so many believers, know Jesus, love Jesus, are following after Jesus and yet still living powerless, joyless lives. And God's heart for you, because he loves you, because he's your father, he doesn't want you to walk through life discouraged as his follower. He doesn't want you to walk through life powerless, not able to overcome temptation, um, not using good wisdom, proper judgment and discernment. God, because he loves you and because he gives you the Holy Spirit as followers of Jesus, he wants you to live power-fulfilled lives, full of the Holy Spirit. And so Luke, he writes this book and he's gonna use that word Holy Spirit 57 times and he's gonna use the word power, dunamis, all throughout the book. 
So tonight we're going to learn about the person and the power of the Holy Spirit. So we're going to read a few verses in Acts chapter 1. Let's take a look. Acts chapter 1, verse 1. Acts chapter 1, verse 1. If you're there, say, I'm there. Amen. Acts chapter 1, verse 1, it says, The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach until the day in which he was taken up after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the, to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he had also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And being assembled together with them, Jesus commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which, he said, you have heard from me, for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive, there's our word, power, dunamis, dynamite, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Jump to chapter 2. Let's take a look at the first four verses of chapter 2. Verse 1, so when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Let's pause there, let's pray, and then we'll dive in. Lord, real quickly before we dive into our Bible study, we first just want to ask, Lord, would you teach us tonight? I pray that we would just lay aside all of the distractions, the anxieties, the worry that we had today, maybe from work or whatever. Whatever we brought into young adults today, Lord, may we just sit it at your feet so that we might be able to learn from you tonight. We love you, God, and it's in Jesus' name we pray, and everybody said, Amen. Okay, so quick summary of what we just read. Jesus dies on the cross for the sin of the world, rises from the dead three days later, and then the Bible actually says that after Jesus rose from the dead, that Jesus, in his glorified body, he walks around for 40 days before he ascended back into heaven. You know, a lot of us just think Jesus died on the cross, rose from the dead, and then he went straight up to heaven, had a little conversation with his disciples real quick. But the Bible actually says that he appeared to a few hundred people during a period of 40 days after his resurrection. And during that period, he told his disciples, he said, okay, I want you now to go and wait in the city of Jerusalem and wait for the promise that my father's going to give you called the Holy Spirit. And so that's what the disciples do. Jesus then ascends back into heaven and the disciples now there. It says that there was about 120 of Jesus's followers in a room and they were having good conversation when all of a sudden the Holy Spirit falls on these followers. And it says that tongues of fire 
appeared over their heads, and they all started speaking in different tongues, speaking in different languages, because the Holy Spirit fell on them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, empowered with the Holy Spirit. We'll talk about more of what that actually means, and again, we'll get into all of the spiritual gifts, speaking in tongues being one of them, but I don't want you to miss the theme verse, not of what we just read, but of the whole book of Acts. The theme verse, Jesus says, but you shall receive power, this is Acts 1.8, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you shall be my witnesses to me in Jerusalem, and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. All right, when people hear you talk about God, and you just throw out the word God, and you're talking about God maybe in conversation, when people hear you talk about God, usually they just think, okay, you're probably just a good moral person, right? All right, when the Washington football team, when they win the Super Bowl this year, you know, a lot of, uh, you know, okay, there we go. You know, a lot of... (laughs) A lot of NFL players, after winning a big game, after winning the Super Bowl, okay, they talk about God. All right, they say, yeah, I just want to give glory to the man upstairs. They do one of those things. All right, who knows if they're actually devout followers of Jesus Christ, but a lot of people talk about God. All right, yeah, I want to give glory to God. I want to thank God. Okay, when people hear you talk about God, usually it's not too controversial. It's just like, okay, they're, they're a good moral person, probably go to church. When people hear you talk about Jesus, it ratchets it up just a notch, right? All right, so you talk about God. Okay, that's not a crazy idea. You're a good American. I believe in God. Yeah, okay. When people hear you talk about Jesus, it, it ratchets it up a notch. You're not just a, probably a good moral person. Okay, now you're religious. Okay, now you're religious. But you're talking about Jesus, you're a religious person, okay? But when you talk about the Holy Spirit, people think that you're crazy, People think that you're a freak, okay? Usually, okay, God, that's one thing. Jesus, okay, now you're religious. The Holy Spirit, who knocked you up outside the head? You are a freak. What are you talking about? And especially if you're going KJV, the Holy Ghost. Now there's a ghost in Scripture? Who is this Holy Ghost? What is going on? So when people hear you talk about the Holy Spirit, it brings up so many different questions. And and you're labeled immediately for talking about the Holy Ghost. Now, who is the Holy Ghost? All of this stuff. Now, even within the walls of the church, the Holy Spirit can be seldom talked about because we're not exactly sure who the Holy Spirit is, who the Holy Ghost is. Spiritual gifts. There's a lot of division, a lot of controversy over spiritual gifts. Do you speak in tongues? Do you not speak in tongues? If you don't speak in tongues, you're probably not truly saved. Many of you maybe grew up in church backgrounds where spiritual gifts, you didn't really talk about spiritual gifts. You didn't talk about the Holy Spirit because that was kind of uncomfortable. And that's one extreme, and maybe that's the church background you grew up in. The other unhealthy extreme is there are spheres of the church where it seems like all they talk about is the Holy Spirit. All they talk about is the Holy Spirit, spiritual gifts, and there, there are churches who are like, if, if you don't have the gift of speaking in tongues, then I question your faith. You're probably not a, a true Christian. That's, that's spheres of the church. And, that's an, and there seems to be this unhealthy infatuation with the spiritual realm, spiritual gifts. It seems like the apex of their Christianity is all about the Holy Spirit. That's another unhealthy extreme. We don't talk about the Holy Spirit in this church. All we talk about is spiritual gifts in this church. Spiritual gifts are practiced. People are running up and down aisles with flags. What is going on? 
Okay, so there, there are, there's a, a plethora of different church backgrounds regarding the Holy Spirit. And here at Cornerstone, and, and my heart for us tonight is, we teach a balance of the Holy Spirit. We should not be afraid to talk about the Holy Spirit, to teach about the Holy Spirit, to invite the Holy Spirit into our lives. Why? Well, really because the Bible has an awful lot to say about the Holy Spirit. Here's a couple of verses. Romans chapter 5, verse 5. Paul says, Now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. You want to love those people who aren't the easiest to love? That comes by the power of the Holy Spirit, Paul says, Romans 5, 5. Romans 15, 13 says, Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. You walk around in life feeling hopeless, always discouraged. Paul says, the role of the Holy Spirit is to give you hope, encouragement. 1 Corinthians 6, 19, or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you, ha- whom you have from God and you are not your own? He says, don't you know you can't be doing some stuff because your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit where the Holy Spirit dwells? So we shouldn't, as a church, be afraid to talk about the Holy Spirit because the Bible talks all about the Holy Spirit. The Bible even, check this out, the Bible commands us in the book of Galatians, Galatians chapter five. Paul says, I want you to walk in the Spirit. This is a daily thing. I want you to walk in the Spirit. He says, I want you to live by the Spirit and I want you to keep in step with the Spirit. That's what he says in Galatians chapter five. Now, the question is, how are we to walk in the Spirit, live by the Spirit, and keep in step with the Spirit if we're too afraid to talk about who the Holy Spirit is? I don't know who the Holy Spirit is. I'm I'm not really sure what the role of the Holy Spirit is in my life, who the Holy Spirit is, what spiritual gifts are, and how are we then supposed to walk and live and keep in step with the Holy Spirit if we don't really know who the Holy Spirit is? So, it's very important that we as the church have a clear understanding of who the Holy Spirit is and how he's supposed to operate in our lives. So the main question that we're going to get to in our talk tonight is, how can I be filled and baptized by the Holy Spirit? How can I be filled with the Holy Spirit so much so that I am walking in the gifts that the Holy Spirit has given me? We're going to talk about that But before we answer that question, it's really important that we understand these two questions. First, who is the Holy Spirit, number one, and then what is his purpose? All right, there's a lot of confusion or uncertainty about who or what the Holy Spirit actually is. So let's just first answer this question. Who is the Holy Spirit? It's probably about a year ago, and this is a safe space, okay? So I'm going to be transparent with you just for a moment. I was watching Oprah, okay? It was like about a year ago, okay? This was, quarantine was heavy. I was alone. I was depressed. So what do you do when you're alone and depressed? You watch Oprah. It's just what you do. And so I turned on this episode of Oprah, and it, honestly, it intrigued me because Oprah was interviewing a pastor. So I was watching Oprah, and I was watching this pastor, and what do you know, they were talking about the Holy Spirit. So I was like, okay, this is an interesting conversation. Turned on Oprah, popped some popcorn, put on a onesie, and okay, that got dark, that got dark. Um, 
I don't know what I meant. I'm, I was thinking onesie. That's what I put my girls to bed in, like a onesie pajamas. So I was just thinking like I was getting cozy, eating popcorn, watching Oprah. I didn't mean that for that to disturb you um, as much as I hope it didn't. But anyhow, I was watching Oprah. She was interviewing a pastor. They were talking about the Holy Spirit. And I was so discouraged in hearing this pastor and Oprah describe the Holy Spirit because they basically were both in agreement when they were describing the Holy Spirit. They basically were talking about the Holy Spirit in terms of being a mystical force or this energy, this this force that comes upon people or this energy that comes upon people. And they were both in agreement. The Holy Spirit, yeah, I call it, I call it this force or this energy. I kind of kind of just sense the force or the Holy Spirit, this energy. And that's how they were describing the Holy Spirit. Now, it's really interesting because there was a, a study done by the Barner Research Group. Barner Research Group puts out a lot of studies about church and about Holy Spirit, about God, about Christians. So the Barner Research Group, they did a study. And according to the research they found, most Christians actually view the Holy Spirit as a force or as an energy. And, and so this is what the Barna Research Group discovered. It said that, this is talking about self-described Christians. So it said that in this study, they concluded that 58%, 58% of self-described Christians think of the Holy Spirit as a symbol of God's power or presence, but not a living entity. A.W. Tozer, he was a great theologian, wrote a lot of good books. A.W. Tozer, he said this about the Holy Spirit. He said, the idea of the Spirit held by the average church member is so vague as to be nearly non-existent. When he thinks of the matter, when he thinks of the matter at all, he is very likely to try to imagine a nebulous substance like a wisp of invisible smoke, which is said to be present in churches and to hover over good people when they're dying. In other words, what Tozer is basically saying there is that so many people inside the church tend to think of the Holy Spirit as just this invisible force that it becomes very uncomfortable to talk about. And so the Holy Spirit really is non-existent in churches. Because we just think of the Holy Spirit as just this force or this energy, this invisible smoke. And so we kind of are uncomfortable with that idea because it seems a little bit out there, right? And so the Holy Spirit and the conversation about the Holy Spirit in the church really doesn't get discussed. And that's exactly what Oprah and this pastor were talking about. They were describing the Holy Spirit as this, as this force or this energy. So point number one, who is the Holy Spirit? We got to get this straight, guys, because the Bible says, firstly, that the Holy Spirit is a real being. And we know this from the Bible. First, Jesus uses personal pronouns when talking about the Holy Spirit. I'm going to read a couple verses from John chapter 14 when he describes the Holy Spirit to his disciples. He says this, and I will pray to the Father and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. Now listen to the personal pronouns Jesus uses to describe the Holy Spirit. God's going to give you this Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. But you know Him, for He dwells with you and will be in you. All right, the Holy Spirit is not an it. 
Now, yes, the Holy Spirit, technically speaking, doesn't have gender, but because the Holy Spirit is spirit, but Jesus uses personal pronouns, masculine pronouns, to describe the Holy Spirit, saying that he is a personal being. He's not an it. The Holy Spirit is a he. He is a personal being. Secondly, we know the Holy Spirit is a real being because he has all the qualities and attributes of personality. We see in Scripture that the Holy Spirit has a mind. The Holy Spirit has a will and emotion. A couple of verses. The Holy Spirit has a mind. 1 Corinthians 2.11. Paul says, For who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. So the Holy Spirit must have a mind to understand the thoughts of God. The Holy Spirit also has a will. We read it a moment ago, 1 Corinthians 12.11. All of the spiritual gifts are the work of one and the same Spirit, and the Holy Spirit distributes them to each one just as He wills, or just as He determines. So the Holy Spirit has a will. The Holy Spirit also has emotion. Paul says in the book of Ephesians 4, he says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. So did you know it's actually possible by our behavior to grieve the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit has emotion. Okay, so it's important to understand the Holy Spirit has will. The Holy Spirit has intelligence. He has feeling, knowledge, the ability to love and see and feel and hear and speak just as any person would. So the Holy Spirit is a real being. Secondly, we have to get this straight too. The Holy Spirit is God. So the Holy Spirit's a real being, but he's not just a real being. The Bible actually says that the Holy Spirit is God, the third person of the Trinity. The Bible says in Genesis 1-2 that there, he was there at creation, that he was actually hovering over the waters. The Bible also says that he is omnipresent. Omnipresent means that you're able to be at multiple places at once. This is God. The Holy Spirit's uh, omnipresent. Psalm 139-7. David says, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there. If I ride on the wings of the dawn and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. So David's basically saying, where, where can I escape your presence, God? Your spirit, he's everywhere. So the Holy Spirit is omnipresent. And the Bible also says in Hebrews chapter 9, um, the Bible calls the Holy Spirit the eternal spirit. So he has no beginning. He has no end. That's God. So the Holy Spirit is a real being, but the Holy Spirit is God. So we have to understand this. Many religions don't believe the Holy Spirit to be, number one, a real being, or number two, God. Jehovah's Witnesses don't believe the Holy Spirit to be a real being. Uh, The New Age teaching, that's become really trendy. They don't believe the Holy Spirit to be a real being. They certainly don't believe the Holy Spirit to be God. And so we have to be understanding about what Scripture says about the Holy Spirit. It's not just this nebulous, invisible smoke, this energy, this force. The Holy Spirit's God. The Holy Spirit's the third person of the Trinity. Okay, there is one God. It's not three different gods. It's one God, three persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit's a real being. The Holy Spirit is God. Now, the second question I want to answer is, okay, well, all right, I get that, Pastor Austin, the Holy Spirit's a real being, the Holy Spirit's God, but I've never really understood what the purpose of the Holy Spirit is. What is the purpose of the Holy Spirit? This is my favorite part of Scripture. 
when the Bible describes the purpose and the function of the Holy Spirit. I want you to pay attention to this. I know I'm giving a lot of information tonight, but I want us to be theologically sound before we talk about the gifts. So what is the Holy Spirit's purpose? John chapter 14 is one of my favorite passages in all the Bible. John 14, 6, Jesus said, he tells us, he's giving basically a farewell address. He knows that he's going to be crucified. He's no, he knows he's going to the cross. But he encourages his disciples with these words in John 14, 6. He says, I will pray to the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever. And in John 16, 7, he actually says, it is to your advantage that I go away. Can you believe that? Jesus actually said, it's to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. So he describes the Holy Spirit as a helper. Guys, the word helper in the Greek is the Greek word parakletos. And it literally means a counselor, a comforter, a helper. The Greek word means literally to come alongside and to encourage and to counsel, to comfort. In secular, secular Greek, the Greek word parakletos actually was a a legal assistant. It was an advocate. So Jesus says, when I go away, I'm not gonna leave you as orphans. I'm not gonna leave you by yourselves, but I'm gonna give you a helper. I'm gonna give you a parakletos. I'm gonna give you someone who is there to counsel you, to encourage you, to comfort you. You know how a a legal advocate, he, he advocates on your behalf, he's your defender. So I'm gonna give you a defender. You don't have to fight battles alone. Your battle with worry, your battle with anxiety, your battle with depression, your battle with um, identity confusion. I'm gonna send you the Holy Spirit who's gonna help you and be your advocate and your defender against, the, against Satan, against the enemy. I'm not gonna leave you alone. It's better for you that I go away so I can send the helper, the parakletos. It's amazing. So a really long list. I'm not gonna dive into all of this, but I just want you to see the purpose of the Holy Spirit. The purpose of the Holy, the purpose of the Holy Spirit is littered throughout the New Testament. He helps us when we're in trouble. That's what Jesus says in John 14. He teaches us the word. You have trouble understanding your Bibles? Ask the Holy Spirit. Teach me what your word is. He convicts us of sin in John chapter 16. When you feel like you, you become a Christian and now different things that you used to do when you weren't saved, now you're feeling like bad about it, you're feeling guilty, don't resist it. That's the Holy Spirit convicting you. All right, the Holy Spirit, he leads us to God in Romans chapter eight. You don't feel close to God? Pray, Lord, by your Holy Spirit, help me to draw close to you. That's the role of the Holy Spirit. He gives us wisdom in 1 Corinthians chapter two. You're not sure how to operate in your work environment, all the questions about the vaccine and COVID. Lord, give me wisdom by the power of your Holy Spirit. He guides us toward truth, John chapter 16. That's key, like truth. What, What is truth in our day and age? Everyone's like, that's my truth. That's not your truth, but that's my truth. Okay, forget, there's absolute truth. It's called the Bible. It's called the Holy Spirit. He intercedes for us in Romans chapter eight. You feel not close to God because you've sinned? You you gotta know that the Holy Spirit is interceding on your behalf. He satisfies our soul. You go in life feeling unsatisfied? Say, Lord, by your Holy Spirit, satisfy me. Help me to not look to other forms of uh, means of substances or whatever to satisfy me, Lord. Fill that void by the power of your Holy Spirit. He dwells within us in John chapter 20 and he comes upon us in power in Acts chapter one. 
Guys, the Holy Spirit is amazing. And when we're so confused about who the Holy Spirit is, we're missing out on all of this and praying and seeking the Lord by the power of his Holy Spirit because we're, we're too uncomfortable with the idea of who the Holy Spirit is. I want to, as we close here, I really would just want to hone in on these, these last two functions of the Holy Spirit. John chapter 20 it says that he dwells within us, and then Acts chapter 1 says that he actually comes upon us in power. Now, this is super interesting here. I want to hone in on these last two things. John chapter 20, Jesus appears to his disciples in resurrected form. He died on the cross. He rose again from the dead. In John chapter 20, verse 22, after they see the risen Lord, in John 20, 22, the Bible says that Jesus breathes on the disciples and he says, receive the Holy Spirit. Okay, at that moment, the disciples are saved. They see the risen Lord. Jesus breathes on them. He says, receive the Holy Spirit. That's when the Holy Spirit comes and dwells within them. But then why does he then tell them in Acts chapter one, now I want you to go and wait in Jerusalem and wait for the promise my father wants to give you when the Holy Spirit comes upon you in power. Okay, in John chapter 20, they receive the Holy Spirit. Okay, you better believe if Jesus breathes on you and he says, receive the Holy Spirit, you're receiving the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit now dwells within them. They are saved, but now he tells them, but now I want you to go and wait in Jerusalem and wait for the power of the Holy Spirit to come upon you. There's two works of the Holy Spirit here, guys. The Holy Spirit dwells within you, but there's a second act of the Holy Spirit where he wants to come upon you in power. I believe that there are many believers and many Christians, they're saved, they have the Holy Spirit dwelling within them. That's the promise that God offers us when we come to Christ, the Holy Spirit dwells within us, but they are walking through life powerless, can't overcome temptation, feel joyless, feel hopeless, don't feel like they have a lot of power in life to walk in the victory of their salvation. If I could put it to you in, in, in other terms, there are a lot of homes that have, I mean, every home, every house has power. But many believers are living in their homes with the lights off. The Holy Spirit, when you come to Christ, he dwells within you, but there is a work that God wants to do in your life where the Holy Spirit comes upon you in power and you are baptized by the Holy Spirit. Then the question is, how can I be baptized by the Holy Spirit? How can I be baptized by the Holy Spirit? That's what happens in Acts chapter one, verse eight. They're believers, the Holy Spirit dwells within them, but there's this second act that God does in their lives where the Holy Spirit comes upon them in power. And tongues of fire are appearing. They're speaking in tongues. It's an amazing work that the Holy Spirit does. And he comes upon them in power. So how can I be baptized by the Holy Spirit? I'm gonna quickly run through four things. The very first thing is, if you wanna be baptized by the Holy Spirit, you want the Holy Spirit to come upon you in power. You, you want to stop walking in life joyless, hopeless, struggle throughout your walk with Christ, just struggling with overcoming temptation, Listen, the very first thing is just simply to present your body to him. Present your body to him. How can I be baptized by the Holy Spirit? Number one, present your body to him. Listen, God can't fill that which he doesn't have. In other words, God won't fill 
that which you have not given permission for him to have. Romans chapter 12, verse 1, Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. Paul says, you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, present your body to the Lord, surrender to the Lord. All of the parts of your heart where you've just really been holding back, he says, I just want you to surrender it to the Lord, present your body to the Lord. That's number one. Number two, it's as simple as just asking him. Ask the Lord, Lord, fill me and baptize me with your Holy Spirit. There's a very tender story in Luke chapter 11. Jesus is with some of his followers. He's having a conversation with them. And he he asks a rhetorical question. He says, you know how to give good gifts to your kids, right? They're like, yeah, we know how to give good good gifts to our kids. We love our kids, Jesus. Of course we do. And he he says, which of you, if you had bread, if, if your kid asked for bread, would you give them a rock? He's like, no, you wouldn't do that. He says, if if they asked for fish, would you give them a snake? No. If they asked for an egg, would you give them a scorpion? He says, no, that's stupid. And they're like, yeah, we're with you, Jesus. And then Jesus, he kind of rebukes them, challenges them. He says, if then, though you are evil, if then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your kids, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask? It's as simple as just asking the Lord. Present your body to the Lord, And then ask him, Lord, fill me and baptize me with your Holy Spirit. Number three, obey him. Now this is key. Luke says in Acts chapter five, verse 32, he says, and we are his witnesses to these things. And so also is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. Okay, don't be a hypocritical Christian. Lord, fill me with your Holy Spirit. And then you go and just willfully disobey him. Obey him. So Lord, Here's my body. I ask that you would fill me and baptize me with your Holy Spirit. And, you know, we're not going to live a perfect life. Doesn't mean you're going to be sinless, but as you grow and mature in Christ, you should be sinning less. So, Lord, help me to obey you. I want to obey you. I want to walk in the Spirit. And then finally, number four, have faith. Paul says in Galatians 3, 2, this only do I want to learn from you. He's asking again a rhetorical question. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? He says by the hearing of faith. So present your body to the Lord. Ask the Lord to baptize you with His Holy Spirit. Obey the Lord. And then finally, have faith that you will receive what God promises to give you. Have faith. He comes as a gift of God to us in power. You know what I love about this passage, Acts chapter 1? Jesus says to his disciples, he says, go and wait in Jerusalem. I'm going to baptize you with the power of the Holy Spirit. You know the question that the disciples asked Jesus? We already read it. The disciples then ask him, after Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit, I'm going to go away, but I'm going to baptize you with God's Spirit. The disciples say, hey, are you going to set up your kingdom now, Jesus, or what? And Jesus replies there, he says, it's not for you to know the times and the seasons, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. The disciples say, like, yeah, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, you're going to baptize us with God's very presence and spirit. That's awesome. But like, are you going to set up your kingdom now? And Jesus is basically like, listen, it's not for you to worry about the when. 
When am I going to set up my kingdom? When am I going to do this? When am I going to do that? Listen, you just worry about the how. I'm going to fill you with my very spirit. So much of us are not too unlike the disciples. God tells us in his word in Romans chapter 5, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. We're like, that's awesome, Jesus, but when am I going to get married? When are you going to give me a spouse? When am I going to get that career, that paycheck, or that raise? And Jesus is like, I think he responds to us the same way he responds to his disciples. Don't worry about the when. Don't worry about when you're going to get married. Don't worry about the, you know, when you're going to get the raise or the promotion. You just worry about the how. I've given you my Holy Spirit to empower you. And so much of us just breeze over that. Like, okay, God, you give us your Holy Spirit dwelling within us, empowering us. That's awesome. But when am I going to do this? When when are you going to do that? Jesus says, listen, I'll take care of the when, you worry about the how. I'll take care of the spouse, I'll take care of the job, I'll take care of the work, the paycheck, school, classes. You just give that to me, commit it to me, I'll take care of the when. Back to the main point, you're going to be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit to help you, to encourage you, to counsel you, to give you wisdom, to give you hope, to help you overcome temptation to fight against spiritual warfare, to help ease your anxiety. This is the Holy Spirit. Guys, we're in a day and age where we're longing for spiritual revival. Spiritual revival. Spiritual revival is when people come in droves to repentance. They turn from their sin. They come to Christ. And that happens by the work of the Holy Spirit living in us, working his power in us so that we can be world changers to our community around us. And so it's super important for us to be clear about who the Holy Spirit is. He's a real being. He's God. The purpose of the Holy Spirit is to encourage us, comfort us, counsel us, glorify the Lord in our lives, and work out his power in us so that we can be effective for his team, for team Jesus, for his kingdom. So let's do that. Jesus, he talks about Satan in the book of John, and he says that Satan, he calls Satan the father of lies in John chapter 8. And then in John chapter 16, he calls Satan the ruler of this world. So put those two together. If the ruler of this world is also the father of lies, then you better believe that Satan is doing his best to perpetrate falsehood and lies through the media we consume, through entertainment, through whatever you see during the day. Satan wants to lie to you that you're not loved, that you're not important, that you are powerless. But then Jesus comes along and he says, I'm going to leave to be with my Father in heaven, but I'm going to send you the helper to be filled with power so that you can combat the lies of the enemy. When he speaks to you lies about your value and your worth and your importance and your identity, that's the father of lies. That's the father of lies. Jesus comes along and he says, I want to fill you with the power of the Holy Spirit. Don't believe the father of lies. Believe the Holy Spirit who says that you're loved, you're valued, I have a purpose for you, and I want to fill you and baptize you with my power so that you can go out and be effective for the kingdom. Amen.
So we can be a part of that spiritual revival. It starts with us. When we open up our bodies, ask the Lord to fill us with his Holy Spirit, when we obey him, and then when we just live that out and we have faith that, okay, God's going to deliver on his promise to fill me and baptize me with his Holy Spirit. Romans 8, 11, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. So what I want to do right now is I just want to go in prayer. And if that's you if, you, if you just would be so honest and say, I'm a follower of Jesus. Maybe you're not a follower of Jesus. You want to come to Jesus tonight. Do that. Come to Jesus. Turn from sin. Believe by faith that he died for your sins, rose again. And you want to then be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. You want to be baptized by the power of the Holy Spirit. And you'd be like, Austin, I grew up in a church. We didn't really talk about the Holy Spirit or I was confused about the Holy Spirit tonight. I want to be baptized by the power of the Holy Spirit so that I can live a power-fulfilled life in the victory of my salvation. Then would you just bow your heads and let's just go into prayer. And if tonight... You just want the Lord to pour out his spirit upon you. Would you just raise your hand? And just in your hearts, would you just do that? Would you just say, Lord, I present my body to you. And I ask, Lord, would you baptize me with your Holy Spirit? Help me to obey you. I have faith that you will deliver on your promise. Just whisper that in your heart to the Lord. God, we invite you here. And we do just that, Lord. We surrender our lives to you. And we ask, Lord, would you fill us with your Holy Spirit? Fill us full, fill us fresh. Baptize us by the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord. You tell us in your word. If then, though we are evil, know how to give good gifts to our kids, how much more will you give the Holy Spirit to them that just ask? So, Lord, we just do that in faith. We ask you, Lord, would you baptize us by the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord? Would your Holy Spirit come upon us, Lord? Fill us that we might be encouraged and counseled, that we might have wisdom, that we might walk this life feeling not discouraged, but rather encouraged, filled with your power, Lord, to overcome temptation, to walk in victory, to know that we are loved, to walk with joy. Help us to obey you, Lord, to follow after you wholeheartedly, Lord. We ask all of this in faith, Lord, believing that you will deliver just as you promised, Lord, that you will fill us full and baptize us with your Holy Spirit, Lord. I pray that for for myself and for this room tonight, Lord. Would you do that? Would you honor your word tonight and baptize us with your Holy Spirit, God? 
Help us now as we continue this series, as we dive into the spiritual gifts. Help it not to be a topic of confusion or division, Lord, but help it to be a, a, an encouragement, Lord, that we might build up the church. The purpose of the spiritual gifts, Lord, is to build up the church. So that's my prayer, Lord, that through this series that the church would be united, that you would build us up by the teaching of your word and by the power of your Holy Spirit, that we might walk out of this room encouraged and effective for the kingdom effective for your team, Team Jesus. We love you, God. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray all of these things. And everybody together said, amen and amen.